producers behind the scenes at Score North and 1500 ESPN have sports opinions. So they want you to hear them. It's the perfect digital sports soapbox to scratch that Minnesota sports itch. This is the Score North Taxi Squad. Yes, indeed. Beep, beep, indeed. Welcome into <laughs> the uh, Score North Taxi Squad. I'm Manny Hill. And uh, this is episode two, and I'm uh, pleased to be joined by Jason Stormer, who is uh, producing. I'm under the banner here. You know, it's kind of, we, we don't have a lot of visual uh, aid today. This will be a podcast, but we are also doing a video recording, and like my face is kind of covered by a banner right now. So I'm going to kind of crouch down Talking so I can see everybody. Hey, guys. <laughs> hello, hello. Yeah. yeah, and that's the voice of Artist Woods, and also AJ Fredrickson is here as well. It's a four-man band today, and uh, we got lots to talk about with the Minnesota Timberwolves and the the Minnesota Wild, and uh, maybe we'll dive into a little bit of Twins, too, before before this episode is over. But uh, first, guys, let's get into the Timberwolves a little bit. Um, The Wolves had the NBA draft last week. They traded back from number 19 to get numbers 22 and 29. Then they traded up from 29 uh, to 26. And um, they were pretty busy that night, but not a lot of action afterwards as we enter into NBA free agency so far. Yeah, not a whole lot right now, um, at least for the Timberwolves side. But yet it's been a bevy of crazy stuff happening throughout the NBA. We had Kyrie Irving coming back to the Nets. We had John Wall getting bought out by the Rockets and then heading to the Clippers. And then the news broke just a couple hours ago, guys. The Deontay Murray to the Timberwolves dream is officially dead. The Hawks swooped in, pun intended, and uh, grabbed Murray and traded him for, I believe, Danilo Gallinari and three unprotected first-round picks. Um, I'm definitely bummed by that. I don't know about you guys. We totally talked up Deontay Murray in the last episode. You guys totally got me sold on him. I was really excited to potentially have him in a Timberwolves uniform. And I'm guess curious, guys, uh, artists, we'll start with you. Um, would you have paid that much of a price to get Deontay Murray, Danilo Gallinari, or a similar player for the Timberwolves in all those picks? Oh, most definitely. Um, I don't think I would have thought twice about it. Um, at this point, like we said on the last episode, the Western Conference isn't going to do anything but get better. The Wolves were just in the postseason last year, and the goal is to improve. And adding a guy like Deontay Murray was definitely going to help you improve on both sides of the basketball. He can pass. He can defend. Um, I, don't, I can't remember how many steals he had off the top of my head last last year. Um, but he 21 points a game, eight rebounds, nine assists. I mean, that's close to a triple-double a game right there. Right there. That's production that you just simply didn't have um, on the Wolves last season. So I would have done it. I'm not too fond of holding on to all my picks and hoping that I get a guy like DeJounte Murray in the draft when I could just make a trade for him right now. You know what I mean? So I think that was something that they – they should have done. I think they could have been more aggressive. We don't know, or at least I don't know how aggressive they were in trying to get him. Um, I don't know what kind of offers were put on the table to grab him, but I think that was a move that they needed to make. I did like what they did in the draft, though. I guess we'll talk about that, talk about that a little later. But um, passing it off to Manny, would you have given up all those picks and a player for DeJounte Murray? So they gave up Gallinari, which is essentially an expiring contract. And then they gave up, was it three three unprotected picks? Yes. Mm-hmm. And because of the step-in rule, those picks cannot be in back-to-back years. So we're talking what? 20, I think it's 23, 23 25, 25, and 27. 27. Okay. Yeah. 
Yeah, I probably would have done it. I mean, I think, you know, you're you're probably I mean, the Gallinari contract is expiring and that's more than anything to just match the salary. So you're probably talking if if it's the Wolves making that deal, you're probably talking what Malik Beasley to kind yeah, of match the most salary. Most likely, yeah. To send yeah, that probably. over. I mean, D'Angelo maybe even Russell. Vando, maybe even Vando. Yeah. Actually, maybe. Vando might have more appeal than uh, Beasley. Yeah. To them well, at least. And and the thing with, you know, I mean, you could you could say give up D'Angelo Russell. The problem is, is I don't know. I mean, the, those salaries don't match D'Angelo Russell's, I think his cap hits at 31. And I think DeJounte Murray's only about 17. Yep. So I don't know if, you know, depending on the Spurs cap situation, I don't know if they'd have enough cap space to absorb that kind of money but you know to to absorb that 14 13 or 14 million dollar difference um but yeah i probably would have done it i think if you think about what murray brings to the table artist hit on it defense playmaking um you know he's young he's only 25 years old and you know the numbers that he put up were were outstanding and he's he's got great size for his position um yeah, I probably would have done it, man. And but I think you have to kind of wonder like if if the Wolves could have gotten it done with giving up two picks, maybe they would have done it. Maybe it was the third giving up that third first round draft pick, which you know ended up being maybe the difference in the Wolves pouncing on the deal. And also, I mean, DeJounte Murray wanted to go to Atlanta. He and he and Trey Young are really good friends. They wanted to play together. They've been wanting to play together for a long time. And the Hawks were really, the Hawks were really aggressive. I don't, you know, that's the other part of it. It's just, I don't know how aggressive the Timberwolves actually were. I know they were interested. We all know that they were interested in trading for Murray, but I don't, I don't know how interested they were in going as far as Atlanta went to get well, him. Well, I, I guess if you, if you know that a player would prefer a different destination, this, a destination than yours, then that kind of throws a wrench in things. Um, but just from the draft pick standpoint, like, I mean, again, what's wrong with three draft picks for him? I mean, I, I just, I, again, I'm just, I'm not too fond on that. Like, you have a player that is proven in the league now. Like mm-hmm. you said, he's young, he can play. He's a great rebounder for for his size, um, can pass everything we just mentioned. You have, you already have a good amount of young players on your team. You have a young nu- uh, nucleus on your roster right now. Crying Anthony Towns is young. Anthony Edwards is young. Like the team is is relatively young already, so it's like I'm not really looking forward to right now a bunch of draft picks. At this point, I'm looking for veterans or young players that play like veterans that could come in and add to a team that you are hoping to be a championship caliber team at some point right now. I mean, that's what we're trying to ultimately build around Anthony Edwards and Cat. I just don't know how holding on to those draft picks is going to ultimately help you right now. I'm looking for the Wolves to be better right now sure they, yeah. I feel like if they make the right moves they can be in the conference finals it's possible it's doable and you just mentioned the conference finals and atlanta beat in there a couple years ago this is why i think this deal was easier and more palatable for atlanta than it was for the timberwolves because the hawks are trying to get back there the timberwolves are trying to get to there and so i could definitely see tim Connolly just being you know the first couple months of his uh pobo tenureship didn't really want to mortgage too much of the future right away. Even though, like, I'm in agreement with you guys. I would have totally traded these three picks and, 
you know, a player comparable to Beasley or Vando uh, for Deontay Murray. I would have been all for that, but I totally understand maybe Tim Connolly and the Timberwolves thought process here. And I also understand why Atlanta would have been more willing to put more chips into the table because they are trying to get back to a certain point where the Timberwolves are trying to get to a certain point. Yeah. And and I think, you know, to Artis's point about the draft picks, I mean, you have to figure, okay, well, if you're the, if you're Tim Connolly and you're the Wolves, if we play our cards right and we're a good competitive team, those draft picks are not going to be very high. Now, I think sometimes we we kind of fall in love with that thought a little bit too often because you look around the NBA and some of the better players in the NBA were taken in the 20s. Like we talked we were just talking about Rudy Gobert last week. Rudy Gobert was the 27th pick in the draft. Mm-hmm. You know, and so that's always kind of a thing that that you kind of think about when you're when you're giving up those picks too. But I think when you're getting a player like Murray and and you're trying to, you know, you're trying to take your team to the next level, you know, you've got to be. I, I think at the very least, giving up those draft picks has has to be part of the conversation that you have. You might ultimately decide, okay, that's too many picks to give up long term. But at least it has to be on the table and it has to be, you know, you have to be willing to to discuss it, I think, at least. And hopefully, you know, hopefully Tim Conley at least least considered it. Ultimately, maybe he just decided it was too much. I don't know. And again, like I said, you know, maybe it, it just was that Atlanta was just a lot more aggressive because of the circumstances with the player himself probably preferring to go to Atlanta because of his relationship with Trey Young. So it's it's interesting. Oh, the thing about it now is, you know, it's not like that's not a piece that you didn't need. You need a floor general. You need a facilitator. Um, You need somebody that's going to play the point guard position effectively in the postseason. So by not getting him, that's still a hole you have to fill. That's still something that you have to do if you want to compete this year in the postseason. If you want to make the postseason, because, again, the West is going to get better. So it's just like – I, like I said, I do like what they did in the draft. Um, I like the fact that they went and got Kessler because um, that kind of fills that big body role in the paint. Great shot blocker, rim protector kind of guy. Not really a back to the basket kind of guy. Not really an offensive threat so much. Um, but he brings defense. He brings rebounds. He brings tenacity, hustle points. So I like that. Um, but And they went and got a 3D play, 3 and D player in uh, Wendell Moore as well. But these guys aren't going to play point guard. You know what I mean? So this is this yeah. is a hole that they they have to fill this hole. It's a must that they fill this hole one way or another. And I felt like that, that might have been a perfect opportunity to do it. I really think that may have been a perfect opportunity to do it. I think he is a I think he's that much of a difference maker where if you have him on your team last year instead of D'Angelo Russell, you get past the Memphis Grizzlies. Oh, yes. I, I believe I'm right there with you. You might not beat Golden State, but you give them a run for their money. I mean, if the Grizzlies pushed them to six games – um, I think half of them was without John Morant. I mean, they could get six, seven games out of the Warriors potentially, maybe, you know. So, I, I mean, I don't know. I guess it's like, where do you go at point guard from here? Because, yes, again, I like D'Angelo Russell, but we saw what we saw. You know, we, we saw what we saw. So, Well, I'm just yeah. curious now what, I mean, because obviously Atlanta just put all their chips into the table right now. They're trying to win. They're trying to win right now. What I'm curious, because the Timberwolves name has been, or the Timberwolves have been linked to these names. Uh, what does this mean for the status of John Collins with the Hawks? What does this mean for Clint Capella? Are those guys probably going to stay now? Or are they still going to be get, 
potentially traded and the Wolves might get connected to them later down the road. I mean, even though like I, I'm, I'm, I, I like this Walker Kessler pick, I've noticed a little bit of theme with our first two picks. Uh, Walker Kessler was the Naismith Defensive Player of the Year, and he also collected first team and Defensive Player of the Year accolades in the SEC. And Wendell Moore was all ACC defensive team last year as well. I'm noticing defense first defense in these first two uh, first two picks with the Timberwolves. And um, you know, I I, I I I cannot tell you if Josh, how do we pronounce his name? Is it Minot? Like Minot, North Dakota, Minot or something? Uh, either way, um, I know there's a little bit. Uh, actually, he's a really good, solid defensive player too. Little left uh, to be desired offensively. There's some shooting percentages that you worry with a guy like Josh right now, but. That's the thing we talked about in the last episode, guys. We need rim protection. We need more defense. And Tim Connolly, I think, really kind of doubled down in this draft with his picks. Well, to his defense, I will give him credit for that because I was like, we should trade out of these picks. But then when they, when they made the picks, I was like, hmm, mm-hmm. okay, right. I like that. I'm not mad and at that. So. Can I say something, too, about the NBA draft really quick? I'm sorry. I just got to get this off my chest real quick. I think I know where you're going with this. It's very dry. It's two I, things. I, it's it's kind of two things. It's kind of two things. And Manny, yes, we've had a conversation about this. Uh-huh. We got to fix the hat situation. I have no idea, guys. And I watch the draft every year. I consume it. I pay attention to it. I stay off of Twitter, though, because I don't want Woj and Sham spoiling things for me. But these guys put on the hats. Then they get traded, and then they go do press conference talking about teams that they're not actually playing for. And then by the end of the night, the Timberwolves are putting out graphics for players that aren't on the actual team, like Jake Lavavia or whatever that guy's name is. And by the end of the night, you don't know who's on the actual team anymore. It's very, very frustrating. The NBA, you need to make it like the NFL. I don't know how exactly you do that, but your casual fans don't know who's on the team by the end of your drafts most of the time. It's got to well, be fixed. I'm done. Well, and, and Tim Connolly, you know, unfortunately for him in his press conference after the draft, when the media was asking him all these questions, he couldn't talk about, he couldn't talk about any of those guys. He couldn't talk about Walker Kessler. He couldn't talk about Wendell Moore, you know, because the, the, the trade hadn't been officially completed yet. And those are two guys that he traded back. And then, you know, one of them he traded back up for, to get and he couldn't even really talk about them he had to be very vague um so yeah i mean it's 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 stupid i've i've long been frustrated by it i think my whole thing is because i've been sort of glued to the nba draft for so long and so many years I'm, i've kind of gotten used to it to where it's like i don't I, every year, it's just like this is so stupid. But it's every, a Minnesota like, sports fan thing, right? It's just like being a Minnesota sports fan. It's the exact yeah. same thing uh, every yeah. year, and, and especially in the case of the Timberwolves, where you're glued to the lottery <laughs> often every guess, year. I guess this year for me, I was just shocked as to how dry it felt. I don't know why it just felt so dry, so like blah. Like I had a hard time watching. It. I'm not gonna lie, I had a hard time watching. It. It's the complete opposite for the NFL. Yeah, because and at the same, yeah, is exciting. I don't know. It brings a different level of like energy to it. I don't know. I don't know if it's the fans. I don't know if it's them booing the commissioner. I don't know if it's the locations. I don't know. It's in New York. It should be just fine. It should be in Vegas, though. It should. I mean, get an NBA team in Vegas and then host every NBA event in Las Vegas moving forward. Artists, you weren't. uh, Artists, you weren't feeling the uh, the senior prom 
vibe of all of the draft picks coming out <laughs> with their parents locked in arms with their parents. You weren't feeling Aww, that artist. Oh, that's, that's sweet though. That wasn't my thing. That, that's like, hey. all right, what are we doing right now? What is well, this? And um, some of that was so awkward too. Like some of them you'd see like one of them, I can't remember who, but they, they'd come out and they'd be locked. Their arms would be locked with their mom, but then like they'd have their other arm out. For their dad and but the dad wouldn't really be locking arms with them like it was just really awkward and weird i'm like okay i it's like all right man let's let's uh, let's, let's chill on that last thing i'll say about the draft and we should probably get aj frederickson in here to yes. i mean i'm I, I got a box of tissues for aj to talk about kevin fiala but um the last thing i guess i'll say about the draft um you know what i'm a and i'll just single him out i don't care jay nivey you are my new favorite player that dude was that was some of the most emotional stuff I've ever seen out of any draft pick. He just couldn't contain himself. He was just letting it all out and like and his mom was right next to him too. I know that his mom has been a pre- pretty prominent coach throughout college basketball and the women's side herself. And so it was just really cool to just see just all of the weight on that guy's shoulders get lifted and just see the emotional reaction to it. I thought it was really beautiful. And I actually noticed that like throughout the draft like a lot of players were I don't know, they just seem more emotional. Then I noticed them, and I just for some there were a few guys too where that I can't remember the, the guy's name, but there was one second round pick who thought he was going to be a first round pick, and he came on and pretty much just said, "Yeah, I'm I'm pissed about this. I don't like any of this." Like I, 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 I he was like a G League guy that I think it was like Jaden something. I forget his name or whatever. So there were a few guys that weren't humble, but I just I took away there was so much humility from the draft picks this time around. And I don't know, it's just because the circumstances of the world the last two years, these guys probably didn't know exactly what their futures were going to be like. And so, like, I, that's just my little takeaway. I, th- I thought that was nice. Good good tug on the heartstrings. I think Jaden Jay, Ivey is going to be really good, too, by the way. Mm-hmm. I yeah. think Jay and Cunningham are going to be really nice in Detroit. I think. Yes. Really, it's just really too bad quick. that they're in Detroit. Yeah. So. Really quick before we end the Wolves uh, uh, topic, what, would you, what grade would you give the Wolves draft? I'll give it a B plus. I'll start. I'll give them a B. I was about to say like a B or something like that. Because I do like the Kessler pick and I do like the Wendell Moore pick. I do like that from like a defensive standpoint. Um, Wendell Moore is a pretty solid wing defender um, and can shoot from the outside. And we saw that that was something that was really big in this postseason. You know, wing wing players kind of run the league at this point right now, um, especially wing defenders. So I did like that. I feel like we're moving in the right direction in that aspect. So I'll give them a B plus. Yeah, I'll give them a B plus too. I I like you know, I like the Walker Kessler pick. Wendell Moore seems like he can be in a in a little way in in a lot of ways another Jaden McDaniels type of player where he can just do a little bit of everything for you. He can shoot, he'll play some defense, he'll be a playmaker for you, um, just be kind of a Swiss Army knife for you. So I don't I mean, I don't know anything about the second round picks. Those are you know, second round picks. I don't have any Matteo Spagnolo hot takes spewing right now out of Italy. Nah, got some good really. shooting numbers. I'm telling you, nah, really. now watch I out for him. About him. Yeah, not okay. really. Second round saying. picks are always kind of a crapshoot anyway in the NBA. I mean, every once hey. in a while you get, every once in a while you get a Draymond Green who becomes a defensive staple and a future Hall of Famer, but um, most of the time they're just kind of like, oh, okay, yeah, he's a nice player for a few years. You never know. You know, but but we'll see. We'll see. I mean, that's, yeah, you know, and I'll give I'll give them a B. You guys gave him B pluses. I'll give them a B. We'll have a little variety on the program. And uh, that's the only reason I gave. I don't know because you guys didn't give him a you guys gave him a B plus. So I'm giving a B. And that's 
my only reasoning behind that. Um, gentlemen, okay. are you ready to transition into a uh, very serious topic um, that we're about to broach with this gentleman? Uh, oh, I mean, you've been getting emotional just thinking about AJ right now. Um, AJ, how are you? Come on in. Unmute your microphone. How's it going, I'm bud? I'm good. But we don't need to act like anybody died, you know? Okay. Okay. okay all, right, all right. Fair, all right. Fair. All right. Fair. All right. Sorry. Being dramatic. It's a podcast. We're trying to get numbers. Um, AJ. <laughs> Your guy, Kevin Fiala, traded to the LA Kings for, uh, I'm sorry, remind me of the name of the player again, Brock who? Uh, Brock Faber and yes. the 19th overall pick in next week's NHL entry draft. Okay. And I guess I'll just ask you this right away, AJ. Did we get screwed in this trade or not? No. If you would have asked me two weeks to a month ago, yes, absolutely. But as of today, no, because I think it could have been a lot worse. Um, when stuff started first kind of flying around after the wild got eliminated it's like all right kevin fiala officially on trade watch what is out there for him and a lot of the suitors which came eventually to today la kings which are the eventual acquirers ottawa senators new jersey devils and maybe a a couple others sprinkled in i know the new york islanders throw uh, a little interest out but i didn't really think that was uh super legitimate because they don't really have the assets to match some of the other guys um a lot of people were thinking immediately Fiala for the second overall pick, put a bow on it. It's done. And I kind of was on that hype train, but that's, I think was the hometown rose colored glasses of, Oh my God, he's so good. And blah, blah, blah. And we can get that. And no, you got to put yourself in the front office of the New Jersey devils. This guy has blossomed a little bit. He just had an 85 point season, a career high for him. He's very streaky is he going to keep developing or is that his ceiling? Is he worth the second overall pick? Cause this draft uh, for people who maybe are more casual hockey fans or just don't know altogether. It's uh it's very, the first three are pretty top heavy. I would say the top two are probably going to be Shane Wright and then Europe Slavkovsky. And then Logan Cooley will, will should be the third pick. If he is in second um, Shane Wright Canadian, he probably will go to, uh, the, the Canadians, funny enough, uh, first overall, just for the sake of being kind of like a hometown, he's from Canada. He's going to help them immediately. He's, he is very good. Um, Slavkovsky, from what I've read and what I've seen, he's a kind of a game changer. And then it, it essentially came out of the question pretty quickly. Um, uh, but then as time goes by, you see, well, you know, I'll throw a second round pick at him and like a mid-level prospect and wild fans up in arms, blah, blah, blah. I didn't, I was praying that that was not going to be the case. Uh, Bill Guerin has shown in his tenure with the wild that he's not going to get bullied. He's very upfront with teams. And I think um, that benefits him in the long run. And what his post trade uh, comments today said, he went with the Kings mainly because he felt like it was a fair deal, but they didn't really beat around the bush too much. They didn't kick the tires. They said, Hey, we're interested. Here's a couple packages that we want to do. Um, you let us know. And then he obviously called around. He's still seeing options, but they put their best feet forward immediately. And he's like, all right, we're going to go with this at the end of the day. Uh, so you get the, a first round pick. The Kings made the playoff. So it's not the highest 19th. It, so the wild now control two uh, first round picks in this upcoming draft, 19th overall, 24th overall, which is their own. And now you have a, who he was the, let me pull it up here. 45th selection in the 2020 draft. So the draft where the wild took Marco Rossi ninth overall. Um, and he's one of us, right? 
He's one of us. Maple Former Grove, Grove right? born and raised. Yeah. He actually great. just today was announced as the captain of the Gophers for the upcoming season as he returns yeah. for his third year. So uh, that's awesome to hear. He from Maple Grove, he forewent his senior year of high school to actually play with the U.S. Uh, national development team, which is the top talent in American hockey. He's participated in the Olympic games in Beijing. He won a gold with uh, the U S for the world junior IHF world junior championships. He has international experience. He just uh, was a runner up in the NCAA uh, division one tournament this past year with the Gophers. He is, he's good. He is incredibly good. Uh, Will he eventually get to the level that Kevin Fiala is at? It's going to be tougher than uh, the comparison between him and Michael Granlin. Because right away, they're both differing positions. A winger and a defenseman is so hard to compare because they just play different styles. You can look at Granlin and say, okay, his cap was 71 points with the Wild. That was a career year for him. This past year, Fiala had 85. 14-point difference. You could argue the defensive aspect, but I would say in the long run, Fiala has been the better player and will be the better player for the longer tenure. Uh, Brock favorite. It's going to be a lot tougher to adjust that, but right off the rip, he is from everything I've in the, in the few hours that I've had to look at stuff between helping customers and my retail job. Um, it's been, he's a good, very good skater effortless, uh, effortlessly transitioning from defense to offensive zone. His passing is there. His, uh, his work sense is there. He he's able to play all the time. He's out there double shifting for the Gophers. Um, his offensive game needs some work, but that's only going to improve. Remember he is, uh, I think he turns 20 later this summer. So he's 19 as of right now, a yeah. lot of time still for him to develop, but his defense as Bob Motzko has said um, for the head coach of the Gophers world-class. And I, I've seen that. If you go look at some of the highlights that he had during the run uh, for the Gophers, this past NCAA tournament, you can see how he commands the, he drives the offensive pressure, even though he's not, um, like I said, an offensive specialist, he's a good two-way defenseman who can jump up in the plane with, uh, when needed, distribute the puck. Well, his vision is great. His puck sense is good. And he, from the, it's, it's not like the flashy plays. Cause you're never going to really have those when you're uh, a defenseman, but the way that I saw him, he assesses his man, bigger, smaller, shiftier, whatever he's able to create, get them to a low uh, low percentage chance uh, along the wall, push them to the outside. And then his stick work is phenomenal. Um, he just, whether it's like to the left, to the right, he pretty much like ushers, imagine like a border collie. Let me, let me phrase it like this. Um, a border collie sh- just pushing these sheep in whatever direction he wants uh, to get them back in the cage. That's what Brock Faber is looking like out there for the Gophers. He's okay. This speedy winger, we're going to get you down to the corner. And all of a sudden you're suffocated. You've got maroon all around you because I got you down there. You have nowhere to go. Leads to a bad pass, leads to a turnover. Gophers go the other way. All starts because Brock Faber positions himself correctly. He's able to stay with the play. Uh, so the short research I've done, I've been impressed. Um, and I'm going to trust Bill Guerin, Judd Brackett. These guys have been, I mean, you're watching a homegrown talent. You see him weekly uh, for the Gophers. You've seen him with the national development team. You've seen him on the international stage. It's uh, It's been fun to watch. I think he's going to continue to be good and we can get into this a little bit more as the, as the show goes, but it, he has the tools to develop. It's just whether or not he will. And that's the thing about trading for a young prospect. It's always a coin toss. Uh, but right now it's slated to where he is immediately a top five prospect for the Minnesota wild. So 
I, I love that comparison, by the way, of Cottle herding <laughs> sheep. That's fantastic. Um, so, so AJ, I mean, we know, you know, if you're, if you follow the NHL, you typically know a lot of times younger players when they're drafted, you know, unless their name is Connor McDavid or Sidney Crosby <laughs> or Alex Ovechkin or Austin Matthews, like you're not going to see an immediate impact from, you know, a, a prospect, a young, you know, 19, 20 year old kid that was just drafted. Mm-hmm. So in the case of Faber, how long, how many years ahead do you think we're away from seeing him actually contribute significantly to the wild? The benefit here is that this was a 2020 draft when he was selected. So the wild so he's already a couple of years ahead. Exactly. Ahead and that's the awesome draft. thing here is uh, like for wild fans, he's obviously on the radar just because you're, if you're a Minnesota hockey fan, you know, the Gophers, you probably have heard the name of Brock Faber, maybe not super in depth, but you, he might be on your radar. Um, this, if taken a couple years back, the, you know, you're not seeing him for a few years. You're, he's, he's set to for sure return to the Gophers this next season. But a lot of uh, a lot of writers, a lot of uh, scouts think he's probably one year out. So you're going to see him wear the the maroon and the gold this year. That might be green and red and beige <laughs> come next season because uh, he he's red around the corner. It's going to be whether or not maybe it's like there's unfinished business if they can't win um, the national title and if they feel like there's a lot there. And that's the when it comes to like these college kids th- that plays into it a lot more than some may think. Um, staying around for that extra season just to make one last run for the national title. Uh, but if he wanted to next year and the time is right and the wild kind of shift around their uh, defensive structure and there is some openings for him to come in and step in and play third, second pairing, you're probably going to see him wear the wild sweater next uh, next season. Not the 2020, uh, not the 22-23, but the 23-24. So, AJ, then how does this financially make things more flexible for the Wild in the right now? Because I noticed that Bill oh, Guerin said to re- yeah, I noticed that Bill Guerin said uh, to reporters today that now it's the Wild's top priorities to re-sign Mike, uh, excuse me, re-sign Mark Andre Fleury and Jake Middleton. Is that possible now? Yes, absolutely. I, I think there's going to be. I think Middleton for sure. You're not going to trade for a guy like him um, at the deadline who is an RFA because you could have probably gotten somebody who's a little more seasoned, maybe immediately impact rather than you're going to look to control them past the, the rental status that a lot of people go with like Nick Delorier for the wild this past uh, season. He's not, I don't anticipate him being back with the team this uh, upcoming season. But if you look at the figure that Fiala signed with the Kings seven years, $7.875 million, the wild just could not afford that. So Good for him. I mean, that's an, an amazing destination. That is a lot of money. <laughs> the Wild can't afford that. It's that Hollywood. Is, <laughs> the Wild are working mm-hmm. with $8 million more than what the league minimum is. Think Ooh, about yikes. that. Like, wow. it's not a lot. So you have to work the system a little bit. And, and that's getting these guys who are on their entry-level deals, who are signing for, you know, three quarters of a million dollars, $900,000. Um, because three years from now, they're going to have so much so you you can extend these guys and that's what uh trading for Faber does right now that's what drafting a guy 19th overall or i think maybe trading up and getting somebody else or trading that pick for another prospect and not just gambling on somebody who maybe is there depending on how the draft shakes out um so to answer your question it helps immediately because you you just weren't going to be able to do that um the question i think the main question i think is 
not Middleton or Marc-Andre Fleury. And Fleury is going to essentially come down to where he wants to retire. He's 37, 38. He's, it, it sounds like he's either staying with the wild or he's going back to Pittsburgh. If he wants to stay with the wild, he's made enough money. He's got the accolades. He's won cups. Um, he's, he's already a hall of fame lock. He doesn't, he's not, he, I, if he wants to stay with the wild and his family here in Minnesota, I think he'll take a team friendly enough deal to make it happen. Pittsburgh also would welcome him back uh, with uh, big arms. So I don't, uh, it'll just be a waiting game to see what he wants to do. I think Middleton stays for sure. They'll make that happen because he was phenomenal and he is essentially going to be the new top pairing with what we saw uh, some regression of Alex Goligoski this past season. He'll be the top pairing with Jared Spurgeon come opening night next year. So AJ, how do the wild now that Fiala has gone, how do the wild replace, you know, I know you mentioned that he was very, very streaky, but how do they replace 33 goals and 52 assists and 85 points from last year? Or can it's, they? It's tough. Um, let, let's, uh, I don't want, you can't really moneyball this because they, they don't have the money to do it. So you can't right. recreate them in the aggregate. Um, you're, you're not going to, you're really not going to, because they don't have, the person in their system to step up right away. You could argue maybe that's Marco Rossi. You could argue that's Marco Rossi uh, just because he's going to come in. That line originally this year was Fiala on the, on the right, Boldy on the left, Freddie Goudreau in the middle. I think Rossi's going to come up, take that middle spot. Goudreau will bump out to the uh, right where Fiala was. Boldy will stay on the left. Those guys had a lot of chemistry in their time with the AHL affiliate, Iowa Wild. I think it'll take a little bit of time to get them both up to speed. Obviously, Boldy had a great season um, when he did eventually come up, but Rossi's going to have to come up and adjust to the speed of the NHL game because the AHL, a, uh, it's you know, it's like going from AAA baseball to the major leagues. Yep. Guys are pumping 102 fastballs right down the zone, the middle. With movement. Right the, exactly. So you're not <laughs> yeah. gonna you're not gonna be able yeah. to touch it. But same thing here. You're playing against the best hockey players in the world every single night. Marco Rossi can play at that level. It's just going to take some time to adjust. Um, so I think the main thing here in this is as of right now, I don't expect them to be done. So I, it, it's possible they do make some moves to acquire a player in some fashion to fill that role and help uh, make up those missing, uh, those missing goals and assists. But I think you're assuming Boldy continues to take those steps to elevate his game with the addition of playing with Marco Rossi, who will come in and, be able to kind of play off each other super well. Um, just the passing ability between those two, the scoring ability between both those guys uh, is going to make whoever the third is, which I think is going to be either Freddie Goudreau, who could bump down to a fourth line center. Um, and I would instead like to maybe see Tyson Jost to get a chance to play in the wing. Cause you acquired him from the avalanche uh, at the deadline. Um, a guy who is probably hungrier now than anybody else on the Minnesota wild roster, just because two months ago, you're, you're, you're sitting in that avalanche locker room and now today you're watching them get ready for the parade. So Man. he's going to want to get after it. Um, and I think playing with two those two guys is going to be able to elevate his game and compliment them very well. So we're, we're very happy for Nico Sturm and Darcy Kemper though. Right. Everybody we're, we're very happy for those guys more so Nico than Darcy, but whatever. Nico Sturm's an awesome guy. Um, yeah. He, he's, he definitely deserves that. So, I mean, and also at, of, of all the fortunate trades, that's, that's the, that's the one to get. So um, he definitely deserves it. He's worked his butt off since 
um, you know, his, his college days, even before that, just playing overseas and whatnot. So he, he definitely deserves that. And Kemper's been through the ringer in terms of people just being critical. I, me as well. Um, cause he, to be just flat out honest, delivered the avalanche subpar goaltending the entire playoffs in the, he had an eight, nine, eight save percentage. Or uh, yeah, eight nine. I didn't eight, know it was that bad in the playoffs. I didn't it was that bad either. It, yeah. it was not good. But the the thing is, they had a pretty good road to the playoffs with uh, you know second uh, second tier goalies, uh, teams being hurt and just having a lot of rest time, which was awesome for them. Um, and then so they really had to play their strategy of just don't let him get, <laughs> don't let him really play the game too much for one series. And that's what they did. They they played phenomenal. Uh, that series against the Lightning, and they earned they earned it. They were the best team this year by far. I'm not a big hockey mind at all whatsoever. I, I can hold my own in mild conversation, but I, I got to tell you guys, like that was one of the most impressive teams I've ever seen in this year's Colorado Avalanche. I have so not seen speed, a team fly man. like that. I've oh not God. seen a team put away pucks like that. Like, and you know, we've seen a couple dynasties with the Lightning dynasty, with the Penguins dynasties, with the Blackhawks dynasties, like. I have out of any of these teams. I swear, I've never been more impressive than what I saw from a championship team than what I saw from Colorado this season. It was insane, and I was angrily shaking my fist the whole time because I don't like the Lanch. They're one of the old Northwest Division rivals that carried over to the Central, and I'm just ugh, screw well, the Lanch. Jason, yeah. I'm a I'm a closet Tampa Bay Lightning fan. How do you think I felt <laughs> watching oh. watching those six games? Well, you just jumped on the bandwagon, right? Wink, wink. No, I've been a, <laughs> dude, I've, been a I've been a Lightning fan since I was a kid, man. Since '04. No, <laughs> since since like '94. No, good for you. Good for you. Good for you. Um, yeah, artist. Oh, sorry. I wanted oh, to get Artis in here for any potentially hot takes he's been yeah, sitting on. I know he's got him. I know he's got him. Uh, I don't. <laughs> I think, if anything, the thing that stands out to me most about this conversation is when AJ threw out the numbers, I think he said seven years, $7 million. And everybody was like, wow. And AJ's like, that's a lot of money. And I'm like, <laughs> I know. Seven, seven yeah. years, seven million. NBA right? money's a little bit bigger than hockey yeah, money. Exactly. But uh, yeah. You know, NBA money, even NFL money, if you try to throw seven years, seven million dollars at somebody, that's like, what is this? And he said, you know, looking for guys, you know, quarter of a million dollars, nine hundred thousand dollars. It's like, what in the world? So I'm this was this is a learning experience for me, everyone. I am learning. I'm just sitting back, observing, learning from the best. So all right, I'm gonna and say AJ one last thing because I know we uh, need to vacate this space here soon for uh, yes. the lovely Jonathan Harrison. But um so lovely. You mentioned that how good the Avalanche were, and Manny, you talked about how good the, the Lightning were. Look at those two teams. Those guys have depth for ages simply because it's homegrown talent. What I mean is they drafted those guys. They stuck with them. They have them on somewhat team-friendly deals because they were able to buy into the system, and that's what Bill Guerin's changed with the Wild. So you have right now, when you look at it, um, let me just pull up what the Wild have for just the prospect pool defensemen. And a lot of these names, I admit, may not mean too much to you guys right now. But Carson Lambos was a selection last year in the draft. Kalen Addison acquired um, a couple years back in the Jason Zucker trade at the deadline. Ryan O'Rourke was taken uh, last year in the second round or two years ago in the second round. I can't remember. Brock Favor uh, was acquired today. Damon Hunt, Kyle Masters, Jack Peart, Marshall Warren, Simon Johansson. That is just defensemen in the Wilds prospect pool. Mm. They have the talent to where in 
three years, four years when the uh, dead cap situation is being alleviated and they have a chance to ink a lot of these guys to long-term deals, I think a good handful of these guys are going to become significant players in the Wilds roster, in the Wilds uh, organization here coming up. They'll be able to get those guys locked in and know the system. They're going to know each other. It's that bond of being able to play with each other for year after year after year and not just come to a team all of a sudden and have to buy in right away. Um, they need to do that on, on the front side too. You have Kirill. That is your superstar. That's the that's the guy that you've been missing for 20-plus years now with the Wild organization. Rossi's going to come up, and I think he's going to be able to maybe not get to that superstar level. I think he's going to, at least not Kirill's level, I think he's going to be at the elite level coming up. Um, Boldy's going to get that well if he keeps uh, developing. They just got to keep doing that. Merrick Kuznadinov, if, is his, uh, if he comes over after his KHL deal is up, you're going to get him in there as another uh, another center. But then you have Jewel Eriksson-Eck, um, a great defensive center with that gr- uh, grief line. It's it, it's going, and then you have the goalie coming up. Jesper Wallstead, who I think is probably a year or two away now. Um, he's going to start with the Iowa Wild this year. I don't think he comes up to the big club uh, this season, but it's building. They have the pieces in place, and uh, I think Billy Guerin has been rock star so far in his time at the wild. He, he knows what he wants to do and he's not afraid to do it. Um, but he's doing it very smartly. He's not just blowing it up and saying, ah, oh, we're going to do this. We're pushing all in and no looking back. No, we're going to, we're going to keep our, we're going to keep our eyes peeled. We got our head on a swivel. We'll still make moves, but we want to prepare for the future, but we're doing it smartly and we're doing it conservatively in, in a sense, because, um, you're not going to force the hand of all these teams and trades. Um, to sum it up, Wild, I think, uh, for the trade today, I don't think they win it right away. I think there's moves still to be made. Uh, the Kings get a great piece, and now their top six is phenomenal. They'll probably make a decent run um, next year. But uh, the Wild, I think, uh, should be – Wild fans should be pleased, maybe not over overjoyed, but should, definitely should not be upset. See, and they should be very pleased with the outcome of today. See, and that's the thing. You, you, you mentioned it there, too. That's going to be something to watch over the next like year or so is everybody. I feel like a lot of the fans are going to be watching what Kevin Fiala is doing with, with the LA Kings. Oh, and, with a magnifying and, glass right now. Are you kidding? Absolutely. <laughs> we're going to be, we're but, going to be so focused on what he's doing for the next few years. Are you kidding? Yeah. And, we'll, and we won't be able to help it. And it's going to be unfair to what, you know, the wild essentially got a first round pick and a second round pick for him. They got, a, they got an actual first round pick and they got a, second round pick defenseman an actual player in return for him too you could spin um, and that and say they traded michael granland for those two picks or for essentially those two picks now so yeah because granland was flipped for fiala a couple of years ago yeah one of the and one if of you look at it like that the wild just absolutely stole that uh trade so one of the you few know. things that uh, one of the few things that Paul Fenton actually did pretty well. Yep. <laughs> Thanks for Fiala, Predators. I'm so sad those tweets aren't happening anymore, AJ. Yeah, those are my favorite. That and the I Friday think, Night Ruckus tweets. Those I are my favorite tweets from Brock, you. Brock Faber scissors. Oh, yeah, I like it. <laughs> we'll and with we'll that, we'll we got to end this podcast right now. Um, AJ, I honestly, I'm not going to come on here and talk hockey unless AJ is on here again. My goodness, I just learned something tonight, and well, I, I thank you so much for that, wolves. sir. I mean, I, I appreciate it, artists. We man. learned more about mm-hmm. hockey than basketball tonight. I guarantee you that. I, I guarantee you that. I guarantee you. So we got to get going because we got to get out of here so MNUFC can get on their broadcast on AM 1500. Manny, will you send us home? please.
Yes, absolutely. Thanks for listening. Another edition of the Scorno Taxi Squad for Jason Stormer, Artis Woods, and AJ Fredrickson. I'm Manny Hill. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you next week.